And this uh, this episode was brought to you by Dunesta, the very same drug that put down that Atreides soldier. <laughs> he just put a lot of it on that sword. Welcome to Gom Jabber with the Maud Dweebs, a Dune podcast both thorough and flippant. We're drinking our way through Frank Herbert's 1965 sci-fi magnum opus Dune, two chapters at a time, uncovering the deepest of secrets and Dune conspiracies along the way. I'm Josh Stevens, our fearless troubadour, Gurney Halleck of the group, and for, of former Lovoff group on fame. And here are my co-hosts, Alec Boyle and Lily Brizzle. I'm Alec Boyle, your Baron Harkonnen, producer, editor, engineer, and theme song composer. What up, nerds? Dr. Reverend Mother Lillian Banana Moy and Brislin here, keeper of Breadverge Orthodoxy, keeper of what's in the box, and try me and you'll die. Me. It works. Welcome to Gum Jabber. <laughs> it did work. It was real close to working. Like most of my life. You know, you can't get everything on the first take. We may have to do these again, but this is a good start. It'll work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be great. Okay. All right, so we're week three or four into our weekly meetings. We're beyond counting like, how many weeks it's Like, verging on the precipice of the void to which he cannot look, we also, time has no meaning for us in this <laughs> 2020 year anymore. We are all Paul on his Muad'Dib journey. How do you say it? I, I'm hoping Lizana that we do not have Laid. another installment of "Uh, Josh" this week, but Ooh, I, maybe we oh, should. I feel like we've got to have we're gonna have one right away after I read the intro quote to this first mm. chapter, and we do a 30 second, uh, you know, explainer, mabab, but nindu. I have nouns. <laughs> All right, so if you're just joining us, if this is your first one deep episode, we are Gamjab episode. We are, I don't know, two thirds through the book. We are all reading from the same. Dune Ultimate Nerd Compendium. If you want to see our version of it, check out our Instagram at gomjabber, J-A-B-B-E-R, uh, to see. And because Frank Herbert refused to put numbers on chapters, it's impossible to tell you where we are. I can tell you. But you'll know by the quotes. I we put numbers three, on my chapters. We are three quotes from the Princess Irulan before book three. <laughs> and this is a special episode of Gom Jabber. Uh, we are reviewing one chapter this week. Oh, that's right. Because it's a long one. It's a doozy of a chapter. Um, it's a doozy of a chapter. Hmm, 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 hmm. <laughs> that was my Count Fenring impression, everybody. I liked it. Um, I really enjoyed how it was delivered on the audiobook. I wish you mm. had both gotten to hear it. I may try to do an impression at some point. All right, well, so we start every chapter of the book off by reading the opening quote from The Princess Arulant. So I'm going to do that this time. Uh... The concept of progress acts as a protective mechanism to shield us from the terrors of the future. From collected sayings of Moadib by the Princess Arulan. And before anybody else jumps in, I just have to say, I am torn on this quote. <laughs> okay. Torn um, how? Yeah, torn how? Torn how? On the one hand, I feel like it is one of the pithier, you know, we pay for the violence of our forefathers style quotes. It's quite interesting. Favorite, uh, on yes. the other hand, it also very much feels like Paul being like, 
Well, yeah, you know, shit sucks in my empire, but that's because progress is a lie anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm actually with you on this, Alec. I think it's like, what, what is the myth that progress, like, what is the function of a myth of progress in this unidirectional arc of history? Do we want to do more in the quarter? Do we want to do the 30 seconds? You know, I yes. Think after, I think after all of that, a nice, like, second to put ourselves in the <laughs> ducal mood. Right? Don't you think? Like, don't we just need to, like, what would what would put you in the ducal mood Sandalwood, tonight? Sandalwood, bubble bath, or bath bomb situation? Maybe some Herbie Hancock on the radio? How about you? Um, I think just the sound of children playing. That typically <laughs> puts me in the in the ducal mood. To just yell at everything. <laughs> ah, I see. That is what gets Josh into a ducal mood. I like to spray the air with my favorite fragrance, Waters of Your Homeworld. <laughs> okay. Different methods, different moods. What do they smell of? Like the Chicago River, <laughs> yeah, stale hot dog water, <laughs> and I don't know what, caramel corn. Yeah, the waters of my homeworld are not clean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now that we're in that ducal mood, I think we can continue with this very long chapter. Uh, but we were we were talking about the quote, right? I mean, this quote is um, is interesting. I feel like it speaks a lot to what we're going through here in the world at the moment, where I feel like we, you know we've we often feel like we've got all this progress, all this science, and yet we're especially here in the U.S. Um, really uh, laid up by this tiny little microorganism that uh, we, we did not progress enough for. So, you know, I think we get ourselves a little, uh, a little arrogant about our progress, uh, and it shields us from the terrors of the future, like the one that we're in right now. Am I the only one that is having, like, casual conversations with friends about when the revolution comes in a, like, not hyperbolic way? Is that just... Is that just me or? Don't think it's just you. Because, like, I feel like, who's the Fremen? That's what I want to know. This is the precursor, this foretold of what's to come in this episode or maybe the next one. Anyway, okay, so. Yeah, I don't talk about that much. I do think a lot about the turning of the wheel and how we are really. Wait, I thought you hadn't read The Wheel of Time. No, I'm just talking about, like, the historical concept. Oh. I'm so excited for, like, Two seconds. I know. I was know like, burst you... that bubble boil. I'm trying to get Lily in a ducal <laughs> <laughs> Yes, not reading the science fiction fantasy canon will get me right the fuck in a ducal mood. All right, well, let's do a 30-second rundown of this uh, debauched chapter. Who wants to do it? I think we're going to have to do it because it's just such a long chapter. I think, like, one of us is going to start, and if they get held up, someone else is just going to have to pick up and run with it. Okay. All right. 30 second relay, a relay rundown, relay a rundown, relay rundown on the 17th birthday of Fader Alpha. Here we <laughs> that go. is actually kind of a great detail. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're good. Uh, so we, we zoom in on Fader Alpha uh, and he, we, well, we just get told right off the bat that he kills his hundredth, his hundredth slave gladiator. And it really sets the stage for him to actually do so. Um, we get introduced to the Count Fenring after he's been mentioned. Uh, do, have we actually seen him in in a scene yet? No, this is the first scene uh, where we actually get to see him. But we, just to confirm, this is the people that left the weirding room to Jessica. They were on Atreides. Correct. 
Okay. You mean Arrakis. BS. She means Arrakis, but yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Count Frenring and his Benny Gesserit uh, lady um, are introduced for the first time. The Count Fenring is a... Um, is a eunuch, and apparently that's important here because of some plots that they have. Um, and really, it just has to do with the Bene Gesserit plots of uh, selective breeding. So, I mean, this guy, great fighter, not good breeding stock. So, uh, they really set that up for him. And then um, we get to the Baron, and he is talking to the Count, and I don't remember, someone else... Someone else jump in here. There's more important things later, but I forget what's happening. Sure. So the Baron and the Count have a hush-hush conversation in a cone of silence. Cone of which, silence. Uh, fantastic brief worlds collide. This book predates the first edition of Dungeons & Dragons by about a decade, I think. Maybe half a decade. Which mm-hmm. means that when they wrote the spell Cone of Silence in Dungeons & Dragons, they definitely lifted it from Dune. Love it. A scandal. Uh, I think it's an homage, Lily. Homage. Other non-English words. <laughs> um, and they basically have a lot of sort of semi-parsable back and forth about who knows what about what the Emperor did and who can hold it over whose head. Um, and then they break up to go to the fight. It's funny because like at one point right before that they say hey, there's an hour until the fight. And then they're like, they have the conversation and they clearly do not have an hour's worth of dialogue. And then they're like, oh, it's time to go to the fight. It was just like a very like TV moment. Well, you want to get your seats like at least a half an hour before the fight actually begins. Right. When you rule a whole planet, you never know who's going to be in your box when you get there. (laughs) All right. So we get to the fight. Fade's there in his slippers. He's got his black longsword. He's got his white sword. We learned a little bit. This is the part I liked about like Harkonnen pageantry and tradition around a poisoned blade. Man, poison poison is the through line. Again, we need more poison or do we in our modern era. So he's which blade, but he switches them up. We learned this ahead of time. He goes in the gladiator ring. But we learn he's got this whole secret plot with Gurney, I think. No, yes? um, Thufer. Thufer. Thufer Howitt. Sorry, I get their names mixed up. And uh, it's a big plan to uh, not drug the gladiator like they normally do. Not do all these things. Make the slave master look bad. I prefer the term enslaver. (laughs) And the enslaved gladiator comes out. He's not drugged. He's like, I'm going to fuck you up for for Duke Leto. If only he had a pug. They fight. They fight. They fight, 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 fight. Uh, he kind of almost loses, stabs him with the poison blade, but the whole crowd's like, oh shit, he wasn't drugged. Like, even the crowd's in on it. They know that he should be drugged. It's all the pageantry of like, oh, our conquering hero, but like, we need to set him up to win. A little bit of Roman gladiators, a little bit of American gladiators, a little bit of WWF and WWE all mixed together. Fate comes out victorious, and then, I don't know, end of chapter. What'd I miss? Uh, so, Fade does um, eventually kill the uh, the gladiator, who, we want to mention, is actually a an Atreides warrior who was captured. That's what captured. I was trying to say. Yeah, she said that. Okay, I wasn't paying enough attention, so I was just throwing <laughs> that back in the Story of my life. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. Okay, I was listening to most of it. Oh, Josh. 
Alec, take us home. My first question for you guys is, and I don't, I don't actually have a stance on this. We didn't get to the end yet. It doesn't matter. Was that soldier Duncan Idaho? Oh, let's come back to that when we actually finish the 30-second rundown. <laughs> so, back to the 30-second rundown. Here we go. 30-second rundown uh, continued. Uh, Atreides, maybe Duncan Idaho, dies in the ring. The crowd is, well, he's laying there in the ring. And uh, he, Fade looks to the Baron to see if he should off him or not, oh, right? Like, yeah, this is like... Right. No, he's dead. He looks to see... The, the question is, should he cut off his head and parade it around the ring? <sighs> yes, yes, yes. He's already dead. This is should we should we parade the the dead head? And so um, the Baron says something like, "Yes, parade the dead head." And then Fade says, "No, this guy was too good for that. He deserves better." And then doesn't do that and says to give him like a full like honorable burial or something like that. He earned it. Then. The Baron now has to like cover a little bit, and so they do this um, this this fate where I guess they just let the crowds charge into the stands and carry Fade Rautha around and celebrate. And uh, there's a few words from the Count about whether or not this is safe to let all the people get close to uh, the the soon to be Baron, and uh, the Baron assures him that. Everything is absolutely fine. He could prance around naked in the streets and he's a hero and everyone, no one would touch him. They would all give him his, their last bite to eat. And then we end up with a new conversation between the Count and his uh, his wife where they're like in code talking about how, did you see that? The It was intentional that the, the, that the warrior, that the gladiator wasn't drugged. Did you see that? That... Uh, Fade didn't have his uh, his poison on the right blade. This was all orchestrated. This, they know that it's Howitt who did it. It reeks of Howitt. And um, then they talk about their plans to... I mean, you were talking about what's in the box. What's in the box is going to be Fade in uh, the, the, the Lady Fenrir. Gross. Gross. <laughs> Edited wow, out Josh. forever. Josh, you are canceled from my podcast. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Oh, well, that concludes our but, series. Yeah, that concludes <laughs> Come Jabber with it's the It's been nice joining you weekly. The FCC or... I had a whole thing to FCC say, and now it's gone. <laughs> Worth it. So, Boyle quit. Is Boyle this the first time you've quit? It's yeah. This is the first time Alec has quit. <laughs> I did it. I won the fight. Fuck, what the fuck was I going to say? All right, so it's a good chapter. It's a great you, chapter. Y'all know that I'm not normally interested in the fight, fight, fighty bits. I, I skim over those, but this is a little bit better. I think I want to hold up on the Duggan Idaho thing because it's a whole new conspiracy that would be really good. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the Fenrings. Where the fuck have they been the rest of this damn book other than like one little letter? What's their deal? They have this secret humming language that we're learning about. Alec has his own interpretation. Mine was more like a... Like a like a old British like ducal movie. No, they say they say that he has the manners of a rabbit. He's very he's very light. <laughs> More like that. Alex just Alex just checking his nails like No, I'm trying to fucking think about what I was gonna say. I had a whole goddamn point about whatever so, Josh So happy. Okay, so the fenders are there. This is the thing that I get excited about. So this is the sort of intrigue in this chapter that's fun. So Fenring is actually a good adversary to the Baron. Unlike, mm-hmm. I mean, I know our Duke apologists are going to step in and be like, no, Duke Leto was awesome. But Fenring's actually taken Baron to task because when they're in yeah. their cone of silence, 
the Baron's like, I've got Fade. I'm going to put him in there. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then Fenring's like, oh, now that we're in the Cone of Silence, you know that Fade isn't actually approved as your heir. Because the Duke doesn't have any direct heirs, right? So this is his nephew that he's going to have to take over. And that has the Baron shook. He did not see that coming. He's like, <gasps> and he's about to send Fade into the gladiator ring. Well, doesn't he say that he's like, when I was... When I was given my uh, my charge, I was told I could choose whatever heir I want. Yeah, and he's like, uh, it doesn't work like that. I don't know if you know what emperor means, yeah. but it means uh, that... Here, here's the world's collide. I'm changing the terms of our arrangement, Baron. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't you, that the emperor has not given official sanction to your choice of heir. The Baron felt himself to be within a sudden personal cone of silence produced by his own shock. There is good writing in these chapters, y'all. Yeah, there's also, like, there's a lot of great details, right? There's when the Baron's like, fuck, my suspensors itch. That was pretty funny. I want to talk about this. So other things, is the Baron ever not in his suspensors? Like, No, what I don't is, think so. He like, so is he like an old person where if, if they relax too much, like their spine breaks? Maybe. Under that right? way, probably. Yeah, I think the yeah. idea is that he... Right, for the the beneficence of uh, Uber capitalism on Giddy Prime can just <laughs> weigh 800 pounds and it doesn't matter because technology will carry him. That's a good metaphor to extend to everything. Yeah. Um, so actually, so first, Josh, uh, it, do you have a, how the fuck do you say that about Giddy Prime? I do. How do you say <gasps> GD Prime? <laughs> and Dr. I don't know. What do you think? Is it even written down? I'm going to go with Alec. Uh, pretty sure it's a uh, Gady Prime. Okay. It's close enough. No, you were you were you were taking this previously from Frank Herbert's sayings. This is just your opinion. You said no. I'm pretty sure. No, like I've listened to it and that's what stuck from from that. Well, now it's my turn to turn the tables. Welcome to Alec Boyle's new favorite segment. What did you call the event they throw for fade? A fate? Yeah. Well, guess what? It's a French word, and it's pronounced fet. Fet. Oh, Except fête. that it's not. No. Je you fet. It may also be a French word. No, it's just a fucking French but word for party. But it's also a special Josh word that gets to be <laughs> say how you want it to be said. Well, I take most of my pronunciations from the audiobook, and every time I've checked one with the Frank Herbert pronunciation uh, compendium, they have matched. And I'm pretty sure that they did all of their studying from from Frank himself. Now, now, Lily, how would you rate the French comprehension of the average? Eastern Oregon resident. <laughs> low to very low on a Likert scale. Josh, that is my professional opinion. That's reasonable. I'm not saying that you don't have, you know, a good a good premise here. But uh, I'm thinking that maybe this word is in multiple languages or has multiple pronunciations. Um, let's, let's jump over to the Fenrings. Lily, I think that from a Herbert literary perspective, right, the idea was kind of for the first couple books, basically, first two books to let you know that they're out there sort of as like, they're almost like the emperor's version of Howitt or Piter, right? They're not Mentats, but they are out there sort of weaving his plots, it feels like. Okay. Although then they're it turns out- 
Although then it turns out actually they're working for the, the BGs anyway, so. <gasps> oh. Right? She's a BG and they have a real twisted relationship where uh, he can't have kids, but I get... So my understanding, my interpretation of those sections of this chapter is that he cannot father children, but they have plenty of kids because basically they go around collecting desirable genetic samples for the Bee Gees, and she brings them to term, and they just claim that they're their kids. What? You got that from this chapter? Yeah. When they talk about seducing Fade to preserve the bloodline. Oh, I missed the preserve the bloodline. I just thought that she was like doing that for feminine wild manipulation okay yeah no uh and he right they said in one of the intro quotes that he is a genetic unit to intro quotes to this chapter do i even read no, no, these no. chapters this was am a, i even literate this was an intro quote in like the first three or four chapters good god this is this is why i am still a novice dweeb right you get these little breadcrumbs literally 400 pages ago i can't y'all we are trying to have a conversation and josh is putting in our little chats his like snarky pronunciation guides i refuse je refuse joshua to open that link that you just sent us okay i'll just hold it up here on my my screen so you can just you can just read it like i have my phone but josh what does it mean no, you're, you're, you're right it does say exactly what you said it just also oh. says it can be pronounced fate or fet this is the most mass thing that's happened during this podcast. This, like, refusal to abdicate around pronunciation. Oh, I didn't bring this one up. <laughs> also the most mass thing that's happening. Oh, I, I didn't want this fight. Why are you trying to fight with me? <laughs> All right. All right, the Fenrings. <laughs> um, I, one of my favorite things from uh, movies ever is in... The Baron, Adventures of the Baron Munchausen, a brilliant Terry Gilliam movie. If you haven't seen it, you must, you must, you must. Um, it's just the quote, and so it's this sort of fantastical voyage, and they go, and it's, and they're at a, a palace somewhere, in the Middle East, in this fantastical realm, and he says, "Well, now enter the Unix chorus singing, cut off in my prime." <laughs> and it's such a passing joke, and it's one of my favorites ever. It's very good. Fantastically Pythony. Yes, it is. Yeah, but kind of friendly. I mean, he and his lady—they still have a—they still have an intimate relationship. They have a—it seems sexual relationship. Just because he is incapable of sorrowing children does not mean that he is incapable. No, yeah, of no, absolutely. Pleasure. Right? No, they clearly—they clearly—they fuck. Right? Like that is <laughs> very clear from their uh, body language and personal language. Right? Like these two are into each other in a way that I feel like. Not a lot of characters in these books are. Uh, but also, sh- all of her kids are not his kids. Yeah. Right. All right, yeah. so we love the friend rings. They have their hummy hum language. What else do we want to... We've got um, time to dwell on this one. Okay. Well, we should make this a shorter one. Um, I do want to say... Okay, my, my last point, uh, because I did say before we started recording that, like, there's lots of Harkonnen fashion to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually going to ignore fades, galette, and tights unless people really want to get into it. But all I want to say is for, this chapter is further proof that House Harkonnen is the fashion house of this world. Actually, Soft slippers, tights, galettes, capes, s- suspensors for your 
bits, your dangly bits. I argue that in fact what this chapter helps to prove along with the next two, which we'll get to next week, is that the Atreides just don't know how to fucking dress. <laughs> because in each of these characters, in each of these chapters, at least one character is introduced with a description of their brilliantly covered and colored and textured dress, gown, or robe, right? So the Baron is in this like uh, beautiful orange robe, this huge flowing like orange silk, you know, he takes up the whole room with all this orange. Mm. And then they he spends like half a page talking about Lady Fenring and her undyed silk gown. Right? But isn't this and like a like... classic villain trope? No, because then in the next cha two chapters, they talk about how both uh, Jamis's ex and Chani... Widow. Widow. You mean Widow. Sure. No, he's a friend of Paul. If he's a friend of Paul's, they must be exes. Oh, boy. The, the Fremen still talk about him present tense, so who am I to disrespect their traditions? But both her and Chani are then described as showing up in these, like, brilliantly colored garments, right? And the, the, the freaking Atreides are like, well, I wore my black military uniform. Later, maybe I'll change into my dark gray civilian fatigues. <laughs> And we've never, have we ever heard Jessica's, oh, other than the autumn colored dress, which just was brown? Which, wait, no, yeah, which blew Leto's mind. <laughs> That's true. He did say she looked he rather like, ravishing Whoa! in that. He's like, I have to color. pretend I'm mad with her, but. Uh, but wow. she's wearing a color. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my thoughts about that. Josh, why don't you bring us into some uh, whatever trickery or games you're up to? Okay, we'll, we'll do. I think there's more here. I'm interested to see what Josh brings up. There's probably one or two more things. Um, so what do you think about the Baron's thought about wanting to completely eliminate the universe of Benny Gesserit? I thought that was fun. That was a fun little tidbit what? about the Baron. You didn't see this? When did that happen? Uh, it is on the bottom of page uh, 413. So right here at the beginning of the chapter, a few pages in... Uh, the Baron notes how the conversation among all the oh. houses minor there stop at her approach, referring to the Lady Feng Fenring, and how the eyes follow her. Benny Gesserit, the Baron thought. The universe would be better rid of them all. So there's two points here, right? First, one, I think this really highlights how, like, a lot of the people in these houses, particularly the men in these houses, realize that, like, they do all their shit and they fight their wars, but at the end, they are, in fact, all sort of subject. They're all subject to basically the Bene Gesserits and the guild, right? Like, you play your shit, but at the end of the day, you can't, you can't piss without consulting one of those two organizations. Uh, my other point is that I think it's really interesting how here Herbert is, in a lot of ways, uh, intentionally or not, drawing allegories to uh, medieval and early Renaissance knightly orders, right? Where, like, if you were a noble from a certain family, you would go and you would join, like, the Knights of Malta, right? And that meant that, like, you left and you got special training uh, and you probably couldn't inherit your family's land, but depending on who died before you died, you might end up actually being the richest person in the family powerful person in the family depending on how it all played out and we see in here and a lot of other chapters that like noble families right the the, the fenrings and the carinos will send daughters out to get trained by the Benny gesserit 
uh, and they are thus inserted into uh, the breath of courtly life. Because hmm. I was thinking that it's just like, this is a good manifestation of the generations-long uh, fear. And this chapter is good at it, and especially all we learned about that we think Lady Fendering is um, procreating, having children with genetic material that is not her partner's. That, that this preoccupation with, in some ways, Frank's preoccupation with Benny Gesserit eugenics plans are indicative of hegemonic male preoccupation with the potential infidelity of women, which is a very overly academic way of saying, like, he's trying to think through the potential ramifications of if women actually got together around, like, if there was a conspiracy among female-bodied people of who they do and don't procreate with, um, that 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 there's there is a biopower in the embodiment of procreation uh, that terrifies men, which is maybe the origin of a lot of patriarchal systems. Well, I mean, right? We it's interesting, right? Both um, both uh, Jewish culture and Pictish culture were matrilineal. It's not like there yeah. aren't examples. Um, both very vilified cultures <laughs> yeah for what that's worth well, that's interesting. I'm saying, I'm uh, i got saying. a questions for you about the benny jesuit um <clears throat> do they ever allow benny jesuit women to have a boy they always have to have a girl or was it just in paul's oh, no, case no, no. she was specifically instructed not to have a boy? particularly whoever slept with you know the baron's brother or sister to create fade had been right the idea was specifically to uh to mate the atreides and harkonnen line right which which brings up interesting things about they had spent millennia producing psychic traits in these two lines but then they also happened to get locked up in these two families that fucking hate each other <laughs> interesting you're sure that they that fade's mother is a benny Jesuit? Uh, I have no textual backing for that. I am quite certain from Gaia, Gaia, Mahayim's speech to Jessica that, yeah, that the Bene Gesserit explicitly chose for Fade to be male. They were involved in the selection of the Harkonnen breeding line. And I don't remember if it's in this chapter or one of the next couple... But they basically... Oh, no, it is this chapter. It's basically when Lady Fenring is talking about it. Like, Benny Gesserit... Uh, and this gets back to what we talked about, I think, last week about Frank's faith that, like, people could just train themselves to linear pinnacles over the next 10,000 years. Benny Gesserit know the moment they True. conceive. And at conception can choose right, right, your right, sex. Yeah, yeah. I just wasn't sure if they ever chose male as a choice. Yeah, and, all the time. I'm pretty okay. sure they All right, just right. Yeah. And then... Um, then that might have... Well, it sort of brings us back... Maybe this is a natural closing to our time together today. To our opening quote, right? About the concept of progress acts as a protective mechanism to shield us from the terrors of the future. And so all of the Benny Gesserit planning, all of the Dune Spiracies, all the deep Benny Gesserit state, uh, what terrible future is it protecting them from? And I feel like we will learn this next week when you join us. You think we're done? We're not done. We're done. One more thing, this Lily. This is every the, week, Josh. Okay, here's our closing segment that you've enjoyed every week thus far. One more thing with our Gurney Halleck. Josh, take us out. 
Um, <clears throat> I actually thought there was more than one. Um, <laughs> you only get one. <laughs> yeah, you get one. Pick. Um, no, I had some. I had some fun stuff I wanted to chat about. Did you? Alec, you can end it here. I thought I did. If you have more yeah, fun I'm... stuff that you want to chat with us about, find us on Instagram. I really like would... the bear. I really like the bear's uh, double meaning section. Did you did you see him cream himself over this uh, this double meaning? This is your one more thing that you're you're choosing to take us out on. Yeah, I'm just what? enjoying the Baron. Like I wasn't I wasn't ready to end this. Well, we're already at almost forty minutes, so get ready to end this. So, what do you want to say about the Baron? Did you like his double meaning? Like, okay, so uh, the count. What do you mean? I'd like to get your single meaning before I worry about his okay. double. So, it only happened once, so you should know. It was a pivotal moment. Uh, the Count says something about how the houses minor will wait for you to lead them. Uh, the Count said, nodding towards the people as they approached. And then the Baron thought, double meaning, double meaning! It was like this double rainbow thing that happened to him. He was freaking out about the double meaning when the Count told him that he was supposed, that the people were waiting for him to lead them. Okay, so this is semi-interesting in how it ties back to our previous thoughts about the Harkonnens, in that the Harkonnens are always thinking circles about the Atreides, around yes. the Atreides. But then the, the Fenrings show up and are uh, characterized, at least, as being a couple orders of magnitude smarter than the Harkonnens, and this sends the Baron into a near spiral. <laughs> he is having a bit of a moment, isn't he? Like, he... We don't. We didn't even talk about the time when F when Fade offered to dedicate his hundredth kill to the Lady Fenring, and how offended the Baron was concerned that Fade was going to you know offend the Count, who could kill him at a moment's notice. Um, and then he told Fade, "Don't do it. Don't you dare fucking do it." And then Fade goes out there and says, "I dedicate this fight to." And then the Baron's like, "Oh shit, he's gonna do it, that little dick." And then he doesn't do it. He dedicates it to the Baron, and you know, every and I mean, it's just this great moment of the Baron about to shit himself, and the Lady Fendering and the Count there, like staring at the Baron with like fire in their eyes. So I want to uh, basically exit on this, but I just have one sort of final question and I want to get Lily's thoughts on this uh, so that we can lock Josh out of the discussion. Do we think that this means that Herbert is only capable of writing one clever faction at a time? <laughs> right, so now that Fade is getting clever because of Howitt, does it mean that the Baron, like, Right? Does all the blood rush from the Baron to fade and the Baron loses the ability to multi-plot? Okay, so let's say, let's call him the Boomer Baron. Maybe this is his OK Boomer moment. Maybe that's the summary of OK Boomer Baron, where he only has sort of one way of operating in his known power structures. And uh, Fade is like mixing the Atreides with the Harkonnen, mixing the soft slipper with the hard knife. Like he's doing his own sort of norm bending so paul's about to go look in the place where no one can look fade is doing that in a different way around his mac power machinations and yeah i think you're right Alec. i think there's something there no more things no this this is part of the same thing and to to actually bring it a step further how come fade didn't think that the baron would notice and then of course the baron didn't notice all of the things that Fade did in this fight, such as poisoning the wrong tip or not drugging the 
you know, he, the Baron, who's a man of uh, quite a bit of clever and cunning, should have recognized this from all the fights he's seen, just like uh, the Count and, and Lady Fenring did. But he didn't. He didn't recognize it right away. He made, he, yeah. So I think that the reasonable explanation there is that uh, Thufur has realized that the Baron's weakness is his paranoia about his person, right? If you make anything look like an attempt to harm the Baron, the Baron will overreact, right? And so by making it look like this slave master let a undrugged slave get at fade which is potentially a, a you know a threat to both the dynasty and the baron himself the baron won't look too closely because he'll be too busy panicking and smashing everything oh, inside i like that okay well now we're shutting this episode the fuck down <laughs> where can people find us elsewhere on the internet? hit me up on instagram at gum jabber we have Nowhere near, but approaching 200 followers. So that's 20 times more people than I interact with on a weekly basis anymore. So be one more. Be the one more in my social interaction pile. And hit me up on Twitter at gum underscore jabber. That's J-A-B-B-E-R. I am bad at interacting with things I don't care about. But if you say anything to us, I promise. To this is why we don't have a social media presence, y'all. And, and you can also email us if you prefer to talk to someone better than our Baron at gomjabberpodcast at gmail.com. And I'll be sure to get back to you and the care shade. about what He's you He's only pushing the email because he won't get the fuck on Facebook. All right. See you next week, nerds. Yeah, because he knows nobody's going to fucking email him. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you.